Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Russell Blake, Blake Street Tavern. Nice to uh, be out here at Blake Street Tavern. It's been a uh, a time since it's been out here for opening day. Of course, the Rockies opening day will come a little bit later, but Sandy, another baseball season is upon us, and maybe one uh, before we get into the Abs and uh, Nuggets and all the other teams that are going right now. But uh, the Rockies, who had their starting uh, time pushed back a little bit. Expected rain in San Diego. It's going to play tonight instead of the matinee game. But the expectation is the pitch clock, something we talked about yesterday, which is, by the way, not a new rule, 1901 to be specific, but one new one when it comes to being legislated, is arguably going to be considered one of the more significant changes in baseball in decades. If you're going to lose, lose quickly. That's always been my motto. And (laughs) the Rockies will definitely lose more quickly uh, this year than they have uh, uh, in years past. Uh, um, I'm still not betting on 100 losses because uh, it is almost impossible uh, in this day and age for a team to lose 100 baseball games. And in Coors Field, it's difficult. And in in Coors Field, it's uh, even more difficult because uh, teams will sacrifice make certain concessions when they're playing here and mm-hmm. the Rockies, that, even it. if they're terrible, will win 40 games. Right. And the old rule of thumb, at right? Coors that- Field. So that means they only have to win 23 out of 81 on the road. And even the Rockies should be able to manage that. They always say, right, that it's yeah, everyone wins 50, everyone loses 50. It's the 62 in the middle that make yeah, the difference. Well, uh, yeah. For the I, most I, part. Right? I, I, I go for 60, 60. And, and and 42, uh, because, again, it's again, uh, almost yeah, impossible point. to lose 100 games. Uh, but however you cut it, uh, 50-50 and 62 uh, would work, too. Uh, almost every team is, is going to have games that are pitched well enough, you know, especially in this place, to score 10, 12 runs. Right. Even the Rockies can win here with 10 or 12 runs most of the time. And anyway, even not the Rockies time, teams can occasionally get 10 uh, to 12 right, runs. Right, so right. Even teams that we know can't hit because they don't hit on the road. And always with the Rockies, there's a tendency to overrate the hitting. Uh, at times, underrate the pitching. Because in the two years, back-to-back, the only back-to-back seasons in the history of the franchise in which this team has enjoyed postseason play. Now, I know some people don't count the so-called wild-card game or play-in game as the postseason. It was 163rd game. To me, it is. Sure. Um, now, and, you know, it, the playoff game they had with the Dodgers – Few years back, 2018. Mm-hmm. Right? That was game 163. Right. That was the year, wasn't it, in which they beat the Cubs? After losing to the Dodgers, Correct. they beat the Cubs. Correct. In the play-in game, that was really a postseason game, as opposed to game 163, which in that case was a playoff game for first place. But officially speaking, 
statistically speaking, a regular season game. The Rockies and the Dodgers played 163 regular season games in 2018. So, uh, again, I'm not going to quibble over that. But in those two years, the Rockies' pitching had more to do with their regular season success than their hitting did. Although they certainly were a representative offensive team. And in one of those two years, they had a man in Kyle Freeland who finished fourth in the Cy Young voting. Right. And, and won has, 17 games and had an ERA here of well below three, as I remember, something like 2.86 at Coors Field for the 2018 season. But obviously, uh, as much as we all like Kyle Freeland, local boy makes good, he has not been able to duplicate that or come especially close. But on opening day, hope springs eternal. And when the Rockies open here a week from tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there will be a celebration of sorts, whether it will be as raucous as it has sometimes been in years past, uh, remains very much a question in my mind, but at least for a few weeks at the beginning of spring, we can sit back and be thankful that that baseball is back and uh, the Rockies are in San Diego to play the Padres and perhaps uh, face the best player in the National League. Um, And a popular MVP candidate in Juan Soto. That would be mine. That would be my guy. I think Juan Uh, Soto is extraordinary. uh, Otani and Trout in the American League and uh, uh, perhaps Juan Soto in the National League, although there are certainly going to be other MVP candidates in 2023. There's no one who plays for the Rockies. Yeah, there may even be another one on the Padres, for all we know, as it turns out, depending on the return to form and and relative health of uh, Fernando Tatis. Whom I love, but uh, for various reasons, I I wonder if he will ever reach the heights that, he could have and should have reached smart move by the Padres, by the way, to move him to right, which is what right. look, the, the arm, we know the arm's going to play there. Just well, they're fine. trying to move him away from injury. Correct. Positions. Yeah. <laughs> and and you, uh, you did so by spending a lot of money to add Xander Bogart. So you, you know, you, that spot is covered. Uh, but Soto always uh, intrigues me, obviously the big trade to get him. And you look at that Padres lineup and it's good, but you think of Soto's career and then it's easy to forget. He doesn't turn 25 until the end, until after this season ends. I mean, this is a 24-year-old guy that won't even turn 25 until after this season is over. So the the talent there is extraordinary. He's protected in the lineup. Uh, I understand the batting average kind of dipped in a year in which things were uncomfortable in Washington. He seemed uncomfortable with the the pending. Now he's trade. a World Series champion. Right, we know that. And, and- and- been in and won a World Series. And keep in mind, you know, last year with the 242, 27 home runs, uh, you you think that's a down year for him? Maybe it was, but still the uh, the OPS on the year, the 853, it's good for 15th in the league. An extraordinary player. uh, One of the guys in in baseball that's worth the price of admission. And I think with the pitch clock, now we're going to see a a sport that is going to be a lot more entertaining to watch. A brisker brand of baseball. In other words, the way it's supposed to be. I think things sort of got out of control a little bit. And and, well, and, and, it, and it isn't all the pitcher's fault and it isn't all the hitter's fault. It is a combination of the two. And for every uh, slow working pitcher who messes around, uh, walks 
even off the mound and starts rubbing the baseball with his back turned to home plate, the old Al Roboski routine. Right. Uh, there is a Troy Tulowitzki who steps out of the box and bosses around for 15 or 20 seconds after every pitch. Yeah, that is going to be uh, something going by the wayside. The, the idea that it's going to be a decisive part, probably not so much. By the end of spring training, they were basically having about one incident. Uh, uh, the average was about half an incident a game. So about every other game, somebody got either a ball or strike called on. And that was it, the whole game. Uh, this is going to go away in, in rapid fashion, and people are just going to realize that the baseball you're watching is more uh, entertaining, and you may not even know why, but larger bases, no more shift, uh, pitch clock. This goes to the addition, by the way, of no more uh, cycling of relievers. That happened last year where you have to pitch to the end of the – either the end of the inning or uh, to three batters. All these things speed the game up. The, the scoring graphic that you see in the upper left hand of your screen uh, – is different this year because it, uh, at least on occasion, show does show the pitch clock counting down. Uh, we're watching right now Atlanta at Washington, and usually with five or six seconds left on the pitch clock, the pitch is thrown. Yeah, I don't so think it's going to be a they, major they, They've thing. already adjusted. It's not going to be an issue, and uh, I think it will make the game better and more entertaining. And there's a runner on base, Yes, and uh, that's a nice thing. The pitch clock still applies with the runners on base. Yeah, it's 20 uh, seconds with runners on base, 15 with runners uh, with base, bases empty. Yeah. Uh, runs have been up about a half run a game right. compared to spring training last year. You only can compare spring training to spring training because you know you have split squad and all that stuff. But it, it may be better tonight. Herman Marquez will take on Blake Snell. Uh, Kyron Freeland, as you mentioned, will be on tomorrow. And uh, for the Rockies, they'll take four in San Diego before going down to Los Angeles and then facing the Dodgers before coming back here next Thursday to take on Washington on opening day to start a seven-game homestand with the uh, Washington Nationals and the St. Louis Cardinals. And keep in mind, of course, the balanced schedule. Then the Rockies will go to Seattle because everybody plays everybody. Now, something else that I think baseball fans have wanted to see for a long time. But we'll go back to the Colorado Avalanche. Need to talk about that loss last night. Uh, Jared Bednar pointed out, and I think summarized it very well, uh, their team made more mistakes. The Avalanche made more mistakes, and that cost them the game. Bigger mistakes. Bigger mistakes. He didn't necessarily say more mistakes. He said bigger mistakes. Bigger mistakes. But he also said that was a secondary factor uh, that – uh, the Avalanche, um, in many cases, and he excluded the top line, although the top line uh, was a collective minus nine, minus three for everybody. Yikes. McKinnon, Rantanen, and Nashushkin. Rantanen and Nashushkin were terrible last night. There's no other way to put it. Uh, McKinnon set up Rantanen on a night where he should have scored at least three goals, in my estimation, with easy shots with plenty of room to shoot and either miss the net or it's deflected and goes off into the ether somewhere. Uh, but the passengers to whom he referred yeah, that quote included, I think, every single defenseman, save for one. And let me read that quote. That you save for one, and that was Taves. Every other defenseman, unless it was Gerard playing with Taves only in the third period, uh, the best move of the night that Bednar made to inject some life into his team was changing up his defense pairings. Uh, but it, I, I'm looking at people who played well last night, and I think of uh, beyond Taves on defense, Byram. Mm -hmm. um, up front, mm, JT Confer, maybe. 
had a point. Uh, was zero for the night. Uh, new hook, never noticed him. Rodriguez never noticed him. Uh, Mogan never noticed him. Eller had a tip-in goal. Uh, Nieto never noticed him. Cagliano, unless he was getting smashed uh, legally, uh, never noticed him. Ha, uh, Helm never noticed him. O'Connor never noticed him. So passengers a, all a, a disappointing performance there. And when you talk about the, uh, the the passengers quote that Jared Bednar had last night this is basically what he said, quote, to start the game, they were more competitive than we were. I felt we had passengers for the first period. Plus, when you're playing a game like this, a playoff style game, you can't have passengers. So, again, the Avalanche have an opportunity to take control of the Central Division. Again, they have a go by the wayside. And as you pointed out, Sandy, uh, now three points behind Minnesota is the race over. It is not, but Minnesota is firmly oh, in the uh, driver's For all season. intents and purposes, it's over. Now, before we go any further, even at their best, the Avalanche would have been challenged to win the game last night. Even at their absolute best, Gustafson Minnesota has the muscularity and uh, speed and goaltending to win a Stanley Cup. And I have never said that in my life about a Minnesota Wild team, including those Minnesota Wild teams who, uh, who have upset the Avalanche mm-hmm. in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I've never said that about a Minnesota team because it's never been true before. This team is a better version, in my opinion, of the 2019 St. Louis Blues, who came out of nowhere last place in early January of 2019 to win the Stanley Cup six months later. This is a better team that didn't come from last place. Now, they, they basically a mid-division team in recent years. Not a bad not team. The, yeah, they not, were bad. not awful. Not, not Chicago. Not Arizona. Better than that. But right there with Winnipeg. Kind of in the middle of the central division. Uh, Winnipeg started the year in a manner that suggested, uh, particularly coming off a 9 three record in November that they might be that team in the central division that surprised people. The wild, much as the avalanche did the first two months, very, very slowly four, four and one in October, six, five and one in November. But then they won 11 games in December, uh, six, four and two, kind of a mediocre January, seven, four and two in February. But in late February, they began to take off to the extent that in their last 21 games now, the Minnesota Wild have won 16, lost one in regulation, and lost four others in overtime or the shootout, which means over 21 games, they've lost one game in regulation. They've gotten points in every other game. Uh, this race is over. In the Central Division, it is over. There is no way that the Wild will blow this lead. Uh, yes, uh, the Avs and Dallas have a game in hand on the Minnesota Wild. It doesn't matter. And actually, the schedule the Avs uh, have uh, precludes the possibility, in my opinion, of their winning out. And unless they win out, they have no chance to finish first. At nothing short of two points in every single game remaining will give the Avalanche a shot at catching the Minnesota Wild. And the fact of the matter is, based on tiebreakers, right now, this instant, Dallas and the Avs would play in the first round of the playoffs and the playoffs would open in Dallas. 
the worst of all possible outcomes for the Avalanche no. last night uh, because they, can they lose the game. Well, yeah, they can fix that On by Saturday. beating a Dallas team that slaughtered them the last time they played. <laughs> Get a little so revenge. they go in three days from playing for first place to playing for second place. And that's all they're playing for. Uh, including on Saturday for the rest of the season. They're playing for second place and home ice advantage against uh, a Dallas team that is pretty good with as good a goaltender as there is in the league, including the fellow we saw last night who's pretty damn good. Lights out. And uh, for some reason has been diminished by uh, – Marc-Andre Fleury playing more of the quote-unquote big games against the better teams this year. And lest you think that Gustafson was piling up stats playing against only inferior teams, he showed that to be untrue last night, completely outplaying uh, Georgiev and showing considerably more poise and skill in the process. Georgiev was about as bad as his teammates were, uh, setting the tone by ridiculously misplaying the puck, earning the right. ire of Bednar postgame for simply backhanding without looking uh, the puck behind the net, around the boards, uh, directly to a wild skater who uh, quickly set up the first goal of the game. And uh, then the second goal was just, once again, a matter of Samuel Girard getting out-muscled uh, in, in front of the net, uh, outmaneuvered and outmuscled, which uh, until the third period, at least, was the story of the night for the Colorado Avalanche. Well, you can tell Sandy's pretty displeased about it, and you can understand as to why. When you're talking about the best players on the team, you pointed out that top line, Nathan McKinnon, Val Nechushkin, and Mika Randon, minus three each. So was Kale McCarr. This was a playoff Kale style McCarr game. Kale McCarr was awful last a night. A big game, an important game, and the truth of the matter is for he, the Avs, the he Stars changed show up. his uh, blades more often last night than he made good plays, smart plays. The Avs just he did not show up at the best awful. time. Their, their best awful. players were not there last night, and that's the way it goes. They have an opportunity to get a win against Dallas. That game all of a sudden becomes rather critical. I'm not going to give up the Central yet, Sandy, but by mid-next week, I might. Because The only reason I'm saying that is because the next two games for the Wild – are a home-and-home against the Vegas Golden Knights, which all of a sudden, by the way, now sits for the top seed in the West. Minnesota now getting in a Minnesota spot. Minnesota catch. Yeah, they have now an opportunity Minnesota to do catch. that. You know, with the uh, they find themselves one point behind. Now with two games against Vegas, Minnesota could take over the uh, top spot in the West. But if Vegas were to somehow be able to play well, and they are 8-2 in their all last All the Western 10. Conference playoff series in the first round will be intra-divisional affairs. Uh, the Wild will play Winnipeg. Uh, the Avs will play Dallas, uh, uh, Vegas will play Seattle, and of course the Kings will play Edmonton. All so, intra-divisional series. A disappointing loss for the Avs. Another opportunity going by the wayside, and it feels like that may have been the last one they've got. Well, they had three shots at it. Mm-hmm. Three strikes, you're out. Uh, yeah, it is, three strikes, you're out. It's opening three, day, right? Three shots this month. Three strikes, you're out. And uh, they don't deserve it. They they were outplayed. And again, I want to be clear about this. Even at their best, the Avalanche would have been challenged to win the game last night. Minnesota is exceptionally good. Uh, in, in my view, and we watched St. Louis pretty closely. They were in the same division as the Avalanche were in in 2019. The Avalanche made the playoffs that year and competed rather successfully against St. Louis head-to-head for the most part. But in the playoffs, St. Louis got all the way to uh, the Stanley Cup final and beat Boston. And we know that that is not all that far removed from the Bruins of 
2023 right. who are about to set records, yeah, perhaps both, for wins in a season and points in a season. Still in place. So a disappointing loss for the Avs. Uh, starts to look a little bit as if now you're trying to play for home ice in that series against the potential stars. That seems the likeliest occurrence after the Avs fall the wild at home. Uh, now fall three points behind with eight games to play. So uh, for the abs, disappointing. For the Nuggets, however, uh, you had one of those days, right? They can happen every once in a while in, in the NBA or any time that you can be off and things can still go well for you. They did so for the Nuggets and now uh, we'll take a look at what they, how they stand um, coming into a game. Okay, with the I New want Orleans. to explore that with yeah, you. Yeah, with the New Orleans I, I Pelicans. Don't, I don't know that being set now to play the Lakers in the first round and almost certainly Phoenix in the second round sets up necessarily all that well for the Nuggets, but we'll we, perhaps yeah, discuss We will that. explore the space because we are in the beautiful, large space of Blake Street Tavern, the big house on Blake for opening day. Come on down, enjoy the festivities. Yeah, the Rockies aren't at home, but it is baseball. There's baseball and television everywhere. That feels pretty good. We'll be back to talk about the Nuggets next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. We are on location at the Blake Street Tavern. Uh, obviously, you know where it is. We have to tell you where it is. Of course, legendary Blake Street Tavern. Uh, happy to be here as, as another opening day uh, hits for Major League Baseball. But it is the playoffs for the Denver Nuggets that, of course, we're looking at. And as things stand, the Nuggets find themselves uh, in the catbird seat, proverbially, to take that number one seed. It looks like it's essentially over. The question is, who will they end up playing? And for the Nuggets, who are used to trying to manipulate these standings, you can't do it because you have to wait for the play-in tournament to see who you get. Yes, but you can do it tonight because... Uh, certainly there is an advantage mm -hmm. to finishing seventh or eighth as opposed to ninth or 10th. Mm -hmm. Correct. If the nuggets win tonight, you'll knock the Pelicans, you'll back knock the Pelicans the back Lakers. from where they are now, which is in basically a flat footed tie with the Lakers. Although technically uh, based on tiebreakers again, uh, the Lakers are in eighth and new Orleans is in ninth. So if the Nuggets win, uh, New Orleans either stays in ninth or falls to 10th, depending on what the tiebreaker is with Oklahoma City. And I have no idea what that tiebreaker would work out to. But they certainly don't go to eighth if right. the Nuggets win the game tonight. Mm -hmm. If the Nuggets lose the game tonight, well, yes, they move to eighth and they tie Minnesota at 39 and 38. And again, I don't know how that tiebreaker works out, but they're either seventh or eighth. Anyway. Yeah. Right. But again, um, 
Phoenix looked good last night, I, I, I must say. Mm. Now, Durant was a little bit off his game, certainly from a shooting perspective, but psychologically it seemed to uh, inflate their confidence, and not unreasonably so. And uh, I, I, I thought Torrey Craig, although his box score numbers weren't scintillating, was terrific. And uh, here is another former Nugget who I thought was a useful reserve – that they sort of let go by the wayside. Uh, but in any case, here's how it sets up. From fourth place on down, Phoenix, 35 losses. Clippers, 36. Golden State, 37. Minnesota, 38. Lakers, 38. New Orleans, 38. Oklahoma City, 39. Dallas, 40. Utah, 40. Take your pick. Now, yeah. I think Phoenix is in pretty good shape. Uh, as far as finishing uh, fourth is concerned, although the Clippers have only come on and Bones Highland had a 20-point game last night. And with Paul George hurt, it's a new lease on life for Bones Highland, right. who's getting fairly substantial minutes uh, with the L.A. Clippers. But for the moment, I think probably you've got Phoenix fourth and the Clippers fifth. But after that... It's 37, 38, 38, 38, 39, 40, and 40 losses Drum for the various <laughs> contending teams. Yeah. And who's to say? Now, of those teams, I would uh, discount Utah. Uh, I, I probably would lean against Dallas, but y you never know when things might click yeah. with Doncic and Irving and at least – offensively, they have shown some signs of late of uh, both in terms of efficiency and unselfishness uh, representing a fairly formidable backcourt. They will, they will at the very least have to outscore teams. Dallas will, but then again, they do have the star power to do it. And I don't think that you can overlook the idea that Dallas can steal any given game from here on out. As a matter of fact, I kind of like them to make up that game over the Thunder, and I know that you wouldn't mind it if the Thunder somehow missed the play-in tournament. From the Nugget point of view, that would be a good thing. Now, I understand Dallas went 2-2 two and two against Denver this year, but it wasn't the Dallas team that exists now that no. went 2-2 two and two, uh, against the Denver Nuggets. So, I, I think the Nuggets matchup against the Dallas Mavericks as they're comprised right now would be outstanding. But, yeah, they do have, as, as there you go, the rare opportunity to manipulate the standings. Now, they two do. Two games in the NBA tonight. Of course, both the TNT games, Celtics and Bucks, in a, a really good game, obviously, to lead things off. And then the Nuggets will take on the Pelicans. That's an 8 yeah. tip here. But. And and it's a test for New Orleans because Zion is not back, of course. So what do you do? do and do New Orleans kind of got punked by Golden State the other night. They built a big lead in the first half, and then Draymond Green started picking on their stars yeah. and getting a reaction, even from the veteran C.J. McCollum. Golden State looks like Golden State again. Golden State uh, basically punked New Orleans the other night. Mm -hmm. Ended up winning the game by 11 when they were way down after – uh, one quarter during the course of the first half. So, uh, uh, yeah, Golden State kind of did its thing. Now, the game was played in San Francisco, uh, and uh, New Orleans did fight, but probably got a little carried away. And it's a reminder, again, that this is a very young New Orleans team, uh, short on the firepower that Zion, at least on the few occasions he's been healthy over the years, uh, has provided. Uh, he's been a 26, 27-point-per-game guy. If you're the Nuggets, do you punt this one? I'm, I, Interesting question. I look at it, and I, I would say I would. I would 
would punt this. Were I, I, I would at the very least not play Jokic or Murray more than 30 minutes. It's I, I, and if I'm it's 32 sure or go. 33, I, 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 I guess you could accept that. But I don't know that I would certainly lean on my bench tonight. And if it's a 20-point game with seven and a half minutes to go, I'm certainly not panicking the way Michael Malone did the other night and, against and Philadelphia. And this is Michael Malone's challenge, right? When we talk about one of the things that he he does is he approaches every game as if it's its own little pocket universe that he has to win no matter what. And this is where it would be interesting how the organization sort of works. You know, does Calvin Booth have the ability to kind of step in and say, hey, we don't really need this one, coach. You know, maybe, the, maybe tonight uh, it's better off getting a little rest for our top guys. How does that structure work for the Nuggets? I don't and know. We, and we, Honestly, nobody really knows. It's I, I don't opaque. know, although I do think Calvin Booth is his own man and has clearly established himself uh, as such. That doesn't mean he's in conflict with Malone. I mean, I'm Michael not Malone saying that. Would not what I'm saying is that Calvin Booth is his own man, mm-hmm. and he evidenced that by action. You just identified it and by words at the beginning of the season saying as far as I'm concerned Michael Porter Jr. has done nothing in this league to warrant his being considered a star much less a superstar and essentially said if not in so many words I never would have given Michael Porter had it been my call 207 million dollars right I never would have done it so obviously we'll find out if if Malone has the ability to kind of ease off the gas or if there's some sort of way to get that to happen because I think you, it's you understand what happened the other night has now been referred to as the Gordon gaff and not because Gordon committed the gaff well, but because there. Michael Malone by his own admission taking responsibility for essentially forgetting, forgetting about him. that yeah. he had taken Aaron Gordon out of the game with 3 minutes to go in the third quarter and never putting him back in just forgot about him and by the time he remembered, inadvertently, yeah, but, but by the but, time but he remembered, decided it was going to be too late to, you know, basically put him back in at that at that time frame while he had gotten kind of cold. And yeah, we'll find out what the differences are. I, I have a bad feeling we're going to see Jokic and Murray play 35, 36 minutes again, like they always do. I hope I'm wrong on that, but I think that's I, probably what's going to happen. I, I, I hope you're wrong too, uh, but like you, I I have my doubts. And, and again, I'm not going to kill him tomorrow if they play 32 or but, I mean, 33 minutes have, i suppose but and, and here would be the question i guess you'd have now you, but i don't want to see 35 36 minutes remember, as we have seen more often than not lately these guys tomorrow get durant and the Suns in phoenix well, exactly and i i'm i'm actually not again not interested so much in winning the game especially since it's a road game as i am in seeing uh, how they play because phoenix has a bench now that Durant's back, Phoenix has a real bench. And, and I, I know they sacrificed some depth in the deal they made with Brooklyn, but I still say they have a pretty good bench. And however they use Torrey Craig, whether he starts or come off, comes off the bench, they know how to use the skills that he has. And he's one of those guys who can make a big play at both ends of the floor maybe even more likely to make it on the defensive end. And I want to see how the Nuggets match that. And I assume that Durant, who will have a day of rest today before he's got to take another crack at uh, uh, returning uh, to the lineup and integrating himself uh, fully, he will have a better shooting game than the 5-for-18 game he had last night. One would, would think. And so, he was—he yeah. had eight rebounds and four assists. Let's not forget that. He was unselfish. 
and he got on the boards. He was a factor uh, on a night where DeAndre Ayton, the center, didn't do center leg things. And uh, again, reminds us that maybe DeAndre Ayton is the most overrated player in the NBA at the mm. present time. Yeah, because I see, I like DeAndre Ayton when he is when he's good. He's really but he's good. not. And he gets, that way very he, often. He does get Nikola Jokic fits because he's not afraid of getting physical with him and putting that True. body up there. True. So that is when true. I look at that game, I I, I I really, if I'm the Nuggets, I don't care about this game tonight. I do want to play the game in Phoenix seriously, even though it's the second of a back-to-back, because I want the gauge of the Suns, of who they are. Yeah. And how now that well, the, the Suns will be roster, playing to protect fourth place. The right. Nuggets will not be playing to protect first place. They, they've essentially clinched. I mean, they're... they're uh, you know, I spoke at the Minnesota Wild, basically, and the Central Division locked up. The, the Nuggets are an even better bet than that to finish as the top seed in the West. Yes, yes. They I are. mean, they, they'd have to collapse. It would here in the in the final what seven games we're talking about. They'd have to lose five or six out of the seven to yeah because relinquish they, first place. They have of the uh, the tiebreaker over Memphis, of course. So so you're talking yes, and, about... Yes, and they're effectively four games ahead of Memphis. Now, I right. know, and, and it shows you where they were at one point. Memphis has won eight out of ten. The Nuggets have only split their last, last ten games. So they picked up three games in the last ten games on the Nuggets, and they're still... Three and a half. Uh, three and a half behind. Yeah. And actually, when you look at road win, home loss, differential, it's four games. And and, and that, you get rid of the half game. That's the, the, the nice thing about plus minus is you... And get rid of that half game. So the Nuggets are basically right now four games ahead of Memphis, six games ahead of Sacramento, and nine games ahead of Phoenix. Phoenix yeah. mathematically is out of contention for first place, although it is still mathematically alive for second and third and probably will finish fourth. Nuggets will take on the Pelicans tonight. We'll see how it kind of goes. I, I hope, I really do hope that there's some different management here and maybe something shook loose with Michael Malone after the situation with Gordon that obviously ends up being a, a little yeah, bit good, embarrassing. Good column by Mike Singer today in the Denver Post. Uh, headline, Malone takes responsibility for Gordon Gaff versus uh, Philly. And uh, Gordon said that that little exchange that you described the other night after the game when Malone spoke to Gordon, put his yeah, uh, arm of, around him and said, listen, I, uh, that, I that's on uh, yeah. me. I messed up. Um, listen, and then Gordon said, I appreciate it. Um, and felt that Malone handled the miscue well, as it were. Well, and that's what you, you hope for is when teams make mistakes, when any teams make mistakes, if, as a fan, you're okay with the mistakes they happen as long as they don't happen again. The only way to really believe that they happen again is hopefully it's acknowledged. And so give that to Malone, the understanding that, yeah, okay, you know what? I messed this one up. And that gives you at least reason to believe that it won't happen a second time. So the, the Nuggets don't need a win tonight. But if you are injured, you most certainly do. So why don't you go hire the winner? Talk to our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com. That's 720-845-7001. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. They have locations all over the front range, Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, Cheyenne, the DTC. And when you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether that's by trial or by settlement. So 
don't go ahead and hire a lawyer for the board. Find someone who will fight for you. That's Burnham Law, the folks who will get you the maximum for your recovery. Check them out at BurnhamLaw.com and call it 720-845-7001. The Denver Broncos don't have much going until the draft, obviously. What can they really do in the draft without that many picks? You take a quick peek at some of the mock drafts that are coming out, and it might give you an example of how, uh, let's call it a little bit bleak. We'll talk about it next (laughs) on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Shadow Crucefield over at Blake Street Tavern, Sandy, uh, with me. We're live at the Big House on Blake for opening day for baseball. The Rockies open in Denver in a week, but baseball itself getting going in a, a big season for the sport itself if the Rockies. I don't plan on participating all that much, or at least not for very long, given the talent that they have. But uh, always great to be here on uh, Blake Street at Blake Street Tavern. You know, we've done, I know you and I have done uh, a bunch of shows here. And so it's a great place, full of a lot of memories. You know, have an opportunity to come down, folks, come check it out. Uh, while you can, because it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great week leading up to the opening day, and that's going to be a fun celebration as it always is in this absolutely terrific, enormous space with room for everybody, and there's room for you too. In case uh, you don't have anything going, come on down, say hi, grab uh, grab a drink, grab a little bit of food, enjoy a little bit of baseball on television because uh, it is back and it's uh, it's nice. We were talking with Anilo Piero, who will be on next uh, after this program, and Anilo's down here and. Uh, he, he's just eating it up, just watching baseball games as he can pack into his eyeballs uh, going. For, for the Rockies, of course, are supposed to have been playing by now, right. but uh, because of rain in they San pre- Diego. They pre-delayed it, yes, they, basically. They, they, they announced earlier, much earlier today, actually, yeah. that they were going to play the game tonight. So first pitch at 740 Denver time, uh, 640 out in, in San Diego. So we'll check it out there. And uh, and while, while we're wishing the, the uh, talking about the beautiful day, I want to wish a very happy birthday to a close friend of mine, Joe, who is uh, celebrating birthday today, a very happy another trip around the sun. Uh, opening day feels like spring and new beginning. And uh, another new year there. So very, very happy birthday, Joe. The Denver Broncos, Sandy. Now we know their first picks at the moment, 67 and 68 overall. Now over at ESPN, they had an opportunity to go through basically uh, a seven round mock. It's that time of year, right? You know, we're we're getting weeks for the drafts, mock drafts everywhere. But a lot. A lot of them don't go as deep as seven rounds because there's no need to project that far out because it's kind of an exercise. In well, this is Jordan Reed of ESPN doing the exercise. Yes. Seven round mock draft. And, and OK, you get it. Certainly not going to call all that. It's more an idea of let's see who might be available for fits. But with 67, they have them picking Zach Harrison from Ohio State. State right. and edge rusher. And I'll give you the description there. He need the Broncos need help off the edge. Harrison is a long and intriguing defender. He still needs polish as a pass rusher, but traits are worth betting on in hopes of unlocking the next stages of his development. Okay. Their Project. Next, Project. Next pick, Tyreek Stevenson out of Miami for the Broncos, number 68, cornerback, with back-to-back selections early in round three. They should address their lack of depth behind Pat Sertan. Stevenson 
We give Denver an aggressive man coverage corner who can play on the outside or slide inside to the slot. Project. Also a bit of a project. Maybe not as much. This is the problem, right? At this stage, you're getting that's right. projects. So that's for, right. for the Broncos. Guys will make the team. They will but... make the team, and that's important. And, and who knows? Maybe they do turn into something. But Broncos fans who are expecting, you know, and here it is in March, but we've done this before, and I guess we're going to have to be the ones that do it again, Sandy. Broncos fans who think, all right, Sean Payton's here. Now the Broncos are playoff contenders. No, they're not. They're not. And they're not going to be. Not this year. That's just the reality. Not unless a whole bunch of bizarre injuries befall all of the teams in front of them. The Broncos are not playoff contenders. They are in a rebuilding phase. And this draft is proof positive because you're not getting stars out of it. Well, you're in, just not. In my estimation, how many starters do you think they'll get out of this draft? Uh, Zero. Uh, my one feeling would be, and, and listen, they'll end up with, I'm guessing, more than five picks. Okay, because they'll maneuver it to get six, seven picks. Yeah, I don't buy for uh, that. Beyond the, that, I'm not sure that Cortland Sutton will not be. Well, traded, uh, no, anyway. I, I don't either. But. Uh, my guess would be whether it's five picks, six picks, seven picks, zero starters uh, come out of this. That's my guess draft. as well. Zero. That number would be zero. Now, uh, free agency is different. Uh, they've got a new right tackle. He'll start. Uh, they've got a new left guard. He'll start. Uh, they've got a new uh, running back. And because uh, Javante Williams will not be ready at the start of the season, oh, but he'll start. in spite of what office secretary and uh, chief dispenser Ouch. of bullspit uh, George Payton says uh, Williams will not be ready for the start of the season. Um, and uh, Samaje uh, Piran will be the starting running back. And there's no doubt of that, uh, especially given uh, Sean Payton's apparent indifference to the prospect of bringing back free agent Latavius Murray, who I thought was a pro last year. I, I would personally I thought he was Latavius the most professional player on the Denver Broncos last year. Not the best player. That's, that's a the great most point. professional That's an player. outstanding point, Sandy. Up to and including the times he was breaking up fights on the sideline yep. between teammates. Yep. Veteran leadership there. And uh, quite frankly, he performed pretty well uh, also. So I think that I would like to see Murray come back. But free agency, yes. I mean, virtually everyone that they, they added is going to play Allen, a significant part. We'll Allen will start. Uh, they brought back Riley Dixon at punter. He's going to mm-hmm. start. I mean, that they got started yes, in be free the agency. He will be the punter. But yeah. it is the draft in which you're going to get projects. So if you take a look at the Broncos right now, Let's just look at that defense because that's at least where they think the Broncos might, you know, pick. Okay, that's fine. Here, here would be your projected starters on the defensive line right now. Zach Allen, of course. Right. DJ Jones in the middle. Now this team is likely to go. Uh, remember, it's going to go to a three-four more than likely. It's going to be we, uh, well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's that's it, as, stay, as your base defense. It's your but base defense. But no, your base defense base now is nickel. is nickel. Yeah, nickel's the base yeah. D. But when they're playing the three-four, Zach Allen, DJ Jones, and then the presumption is Jonathan Harris. I guess Matt Henningsen and it could be Wazirike will, you know, again, two projects who got some playing time last year, but not a lot. But it's because it's the be Broncos open, were right? under the illusion last year, as they've been for several years now, that they were a playoff contending team. So they didn't play some young players who should have played more than they did. Yeah. So Jonathan Harris, uh, who, who you know, obviously has been with the Broncos uh, for a couple seasons now, back since 2019, will probably be the guy that gets the first crack at it. But in other words, that position is a 
I don't know, right? That, that's a camp competition yeah. as it stands today. And it's highly unlikely that even if with the 67th pick, that guy's going to be your plug-and-play starter. In fact, oh, even no. Jordan Reed no. didn't talk about that at all. Said in the right system, maybe. Maybe. You know, he could be in a the right fit. system. Yeah, so, so he's, he's a prospect slash project. So a draft pick, Harris, Henningsen, Ivazarike, uh, do, do they have to move for maybe bring Purcell back into the middle and put mm-hmm. Jones to the outside where he's not as good a fit, I guess. But, you know, do you feel that's top front defensive line? I don't think it is. It's not a disaster, but it's not a, you don't look at oh. it and say top 10. No, no. Uh, your, your linebackers at this point would be a combination, you know, presumably on the outside, Baron Browning and Randy Gregory when healthy, which we warned is not often. And yeah, Broncos fans uh, well, learned last and year. And even Baron Browning. Browning has not always been healthy either. Correct. And now you have Singleton and Jewel in the middle. They brought Singleton back. That's an obvious fit. There are weaknesses with those guys, but they do their they do the job yeah, that I, you're expected to I, do. I, I'm sorry, but they they gave what eighteen million dollars to Singleton. Oh, to, to Singleton. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm saying he's not a three down linebacker. Why are you paying him eighteen million dollars? Well, it was anybody else going to pay him eighteen million? That's the question. I mean, it, it, it's the. I understand the he had a bunch of tackles rate. last year, but the, he, the he thing had, about the way the NFL counts tackles is is just a number, and he could be tackling people ninety percent of the time, eight or nine yards down the field. He had still a bunch of tackles tackle. with the Eagles, and the Eagles let him hit free agency. That's right. how he ended up with the Broncos. Right. Uh, exactly. I, I Singleton's fine. Yes, three years, eighteen million, uh, nine million of that guaranteed. Last year he played. Uh, with basically a $3.3 million salary. And so now he gets that new So deal. they doubled it. They doubled it. And, uh, okay, but, yeah, you still can't cover tight ends. Uh, Darren Waller's not in your division anymore. I guess that's good. Uh, and then the question is, does Nick Benito step up? Uh, you know, does, does he be able Yeah, and he did get a fair amount of playing time, yeah, wouldn't you say, he, last year? He did. And I think, can he step up and start taking some snaps away from either Gregory or Browning or at least get enough that there's a rotation that can be effective? But, again, I look at that. That linebacker, but he's core. raw too. He's yeah, raw, you know. Sure. Nick Nick Benito, uh, Zach Harrison, uh, you know, six and one half dozen the other. They're both projects. Uh, the difference is Benito got some playing time last year, yeah. more than Wazirike and and Henningsen, Henningsen for sure. Got, yeah, right. And so you look at that and you think, okay, you have Browning, Singleton, Jewel, Gregory. Uh, again, good. It's it's good. There's nothing wrong with it, but I don't look at it again and say top ten. Linebacking core. Now, the, the defensive backfield at the moment, you're talking about Caden Stearns, and if it were to start today, Caden Stearns and Justin Simmons as your starting safeties, Pat Sertan and Damari Mathis as your corners, Tremont Smith uh, being in the mix, and K1 Williams probably being your slot guy. Now, is that a top 10 defensive backfield? It, it's it's not quite yet because I'm not sold on well, Mathis. I mean, you've got two Sertan certainly stars Simmons in Sertan and is. Simmons. I believe that Caden Stearns is going to be a very talented player and I think can hold down that starting role. And apparently from what's been reported, uh, we Jackson's coming back. Yes, presumably, yes. Which I, I didn't think was going to happen two years ago or last year. Yeah. And that happened both times. And I think Kareem Jackson, particularly two years ago, was none too pleased that the Broncos showed scant interest in him. But... Uh, uh, other f- forces prevailed, uh, in, including one of the Bronco free agent acquisitions right. who uh, insisted that he would only come to Denver if they brought Kareem Jackson back. Well, yep. It's probably not happening this time, though. <laughs> so now you're talking about... It doesn't seem... Yeah, Tremont, after Tremont Smith is signed, it feels like that's already gone. But, you know, you, do you feel good about behind Sertan? Well, I think that's why Reed talked about the 68th pick, picking a corner. 
But if, if this team's defense is not a top 10 defense, and I, I look at it, I'm like, well, the line certainly isn't. The linebackers aren't. The defensive backfield, maybe. maybe You could maybe say from from somewhere 5 to 10, not everybody has the, the top end talent of a, a Simmons and a Sutan in their backfield. But then again, defenses are interesting, right? They're only as good as their weakest part. So if Damari Mathis or Tremont Smith or can't stand up to it, they're just going to pick on Ma- them. Mathis, I do like. I like and, him. And uh, listen, over the last six, seven games last year, uh, I thought Satan might have flattened out a little bit. And at least in a f- <laughs> two of those games, maybe three, it, it seemed as if passes weren't staying away from Sertan to the extent that they had been during the first half of the season. Not, not in every game down the stretch, but uh, I, I think several people who like Sertan even more than I do uh, suggested that the second half of the season was perhaps not quite as good as the first half. Understandable. I, to me, if you're used to winning, Sertan usually uh, would would be termed as the, 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 having been a player in Alabama that was very used to winning and almost right. never losing, right? Uh, if you're that type of player with his background and his experience, I, I'm telling you, even after two years, the losing just wears on you and the hopelessness wears on you. I think it wears on Justin Simmons, who's much more of a veteran uh, than, uh, than Patrick Sertan is. Uh, and I, I, so I, I'm not even knocking him for that. I, I did think Simmons actually the last five or six games got better. <laughs> and that was the strongest stretch of say, if you divide the season more or less into thirds, I thought the final third of the season was Justin Simmons best third of the season. He was terrific in the last six games. And that includes the disaster uh, in Los Angeles. Although that was probably his weakest game uh, down the stretch, but relative to everybody else, uh, he, he at least showed up and uh, gave some appearance of competing. How confident are you with the Broncos? Have they gotten that much better? Do you believe it? The, the call and text line is 303-831-1340. Let us know. We will be back in a moment with CBS News Colorado sports anchor, Romy Bean, next on My Life Sports. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. 